Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. I, I really think, you know, especially during this season of COVID and everything else that's happening in the world, I think that uh, we, we need to listen to Louis. Because <laughs> in spite of it all, it is a wonderful world. It really is. It's, a, it's amazing. And good morning. <laughs> Like, who would come to church on a Saturday morning? Like, <laughs> you're not normal. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Oh, so good to be here. So good to be in Grand Prairie. If we'd known Louis was going to be here, we could have promoted that, and it would have helped, you know. But <laughs> he just shows up once in a while. <laughs> I, um, years ago, I, I told my family, I said, uh, I, want that song. I want you to play that at my funeral. And um, so the next day, my son Steve, our youngest, came in. He'd gone out and bought a cassette of Louis Armstrong, singing Wonderful World. He said, we're ready, Dad. <laughs> and <laughs> so um, I just thought, I'll just keep living. Yeah. And so then I think he had to go to a different format. And probably, <laughs> um, you know, a CD and then... I don't know what he's got now. I think he's given up. I think he's <laughs> tired of waiting. I have a worship leader friend in England who um, he was on uh, our team. He traveled with me for a couple of years before he went back home to England. And uh, I love the way he sings. I can only imagine. So I, I said, I want you to sing that at my funeral. And, uh, but he keeps saying, I need the date. I, I need to put it on my schedule. <laughs> But then, <laughs> then my wife said to me a while ago, she said, um, he's not coming to your funeral to sing. I said, well, no, that's what I want. And she said, I'm not spending all that much money to bring him over to sing. Let him send a video or something. <laughs> I said, but I want him. And she said, yeah, he's not that good. That's what she said. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we have no plans. We're just going to keep living, you know. <laughs> and um, uh, all of us have an appointment. If Jesus tarries, we will go. It would be the greatest thing ever happened. This is preparation for the next life. And I've told Jacob knows that if I have no plans, but if something happened, I just fell over dead now. Don't dare try to bring me back because I'm not coming. Um, Patricia King, our friend, said... Um, you know, we haven't had great success in raising people from the dead because we um, always try to bring Christians back and they, they don't want to come back. She said, try some ungodly people. <laughs> they'll, they'll cooperate with you. I think that's probably good advice. And, uh, but it's just so good to... to um, it's good to be alive in this day. This is yeah. the greatest day that's ever been. Really it is. And... And, um, you know, you can say it's the worst day, time that's ever been, but it's the best time that's ever been. And so you just have to keep focusing on the good things. And there's a lot of good things. And, uh, um, you know, we, as, as you were, how, is anybody here, this, who's here this morning? Yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> a few of you are. <laughs> um, is there anybody here that wasn't here last night? Oh, wow. 
I'm glad you made it. <laughs> if you'd missed this morning, it would have been over, you know, but <laughs> we went ahead without you last night, but um, and had a good time, but I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, we were on this cross Canada tour thing, and, and I should explain, um, Jacob and I are not away from home for like two and a half months. Um, every week we're out for a few nights and then we go back home. And so that's why um, we're not, you know, geographically going across the country like this because, you know, one, one week we're in New Brunswick, the next week we're in British Columbia because uh, it really doesn't matter. We always start from Ottawa because um, we have wives <laughs> and, and things going on at home. So um, we're home for a few days of the weekend. Um, uh, my thinking was there are going to be rest days, but it hasn't turned out that way. There's lots happening, <laughs> waiting for you when you're home. But, um, and then we're out again. So this trip, we left Ottawa yesterday morning. Our flight left at 6.30 uh, Ottawa time, AM, so that's 4.30 your time. So we got up at 4 um, Ottawa time, which was 2 uh, your time. And um, so we just get to spend lots of time together. <laughs> we, when we do have days together, they're long days, but uh, it's amazing what you can do. And so we're here with... Uh, tonight we're down in uh, Sylvan Lake with our friends and then tomorrow they're going to have two because of the restrictions down there we are going to have two services tomorrow morning and then tomorrow night stand on guard and then we go home again and then I get to do my grandson's wedding we have a uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> Couldn't they get anybody else? No. I'm the cheapest. I mean, <laughs> um, we have 12 grandchildren, and um, they're all grown up. They're all adults, and uh, most of them are getting married now. So um, I have the privilege of doing their um, weddings, which is so good. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And uh, we have... Um, 11 great-grandchildren and two in the oven. So um, actually we have 13 great-grandchildren and that's so much better. Uh, are there any great-grandparents here? You, you, yeah, yeah, wow. Wow, you're so young, it's amazing. <laughs> and you're supposed to say, and so are you, but don't bother, don't bother. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm telling you, it's great to be a grandparent. It's really wonderful, but it's better to be a great-grandparent. Because when you're a grandparent, they expect you to do things. Like they want you to babysit and change diapers. And last diaper I changed years ago, I got a text later, you put it on upside down or something or around. <laughs> well, and anyway, but when you're a great grandparent, there is no expectations. Because you're so old, they don't, they don't wanna. <laughs> Seriously, like they, they will get a message Papa, we'd like to bring the kids by. We're not going to spend, you know, we won't take too long. We don't want to tire you out. Okay, dear. And um, so we just, they come, we sugar them up. We have ice cream parties with all the stuff and get them all wound up. And then they go home and um, you don't have to do anything. We buy them the most unreasonable things and, <laughs> and you know, toys that make loud noises that they take home and uh, lovely white outfits that <laughs> are so impractical. Because, um, you know, well, John Arnott and I just did a conference, um, I guess it was in August, I think it was, in uh, Sylvan Lake. 
And I just thought this would be interesting. Uh, we calcu I calculated our ages. Um, the two of us together, we have a combined age of 156 years. And I said to John, like, to two of us together, 156 years. That's a lot of years. He said, wow. He said, that's a lot of experience. <laughs> it's a lot of something. And um, John is my hero. I tell him he encourages us young evangelists because he turned 80 last Christmas. So this Christmas, he turns 80. Like, he's remarkable. Um, if it wasn't for COVID, he would still be traveling all over the world, but he's still, you know, doing a lot of stuff. And uh, um, so we're just a few years behind him. And uh, it's great. It's a great. But we did a conference a few years ago, and we were both in our 70s then. And I said, isn't it great? Isn't this great? He said, people have so much grace when you're in your 70s. Yeah. Well, then when you turn 80, apparently they have more grace. I mean, because nobody wants to kill you. So, you know, you, like seriously, when you're young at a conference, I mean, some conferences, you know, two sessions in the morning, two in the afternoon, one at night, and they want you to be at all of them. But when you're elderly, <laughs> they'll say to you at night, Bill, you don't have to come tomorrow morning. Maybe you should rest. And, uh, you know, you're speaking tomorrow night, so maybe just take, okay, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> we, we get into sessions, you know, to receive, but um, some of it's like a marathon, so it's, it's kind of nice. And let me just tell you one hardship, um, trial, because, uh, you know, some of you think you're going through terrible things. Well, I went through something far worse than you'll ever go through. And so when you hear mine, you'll just think, thank God you're you. Um, it's really not that bad, but I, th I find if I try to build it up, it, you know, it might have more effect. Um, we were speaking at, Gwen and I were doing a conference in Calgary uh, with Craig Broker's church with Dick and Joan, um, Craig and Ann, Francis and um, Edith Armstrong and uh, the Sonermans. And uh, so we flew out. We got there to the hotel just in time for dinner. Everybody's going to meet in the dining room at the hotel. So we get, well, we're all friends. We hadn't seen each other for a long time. So, you know, uh, dinner went and came and went. And we just spent a few hours just talking, catching up. It was so good. Then we went up to our room. Well, we traveled and, you know, we're tired. And so I'm unpacking. And I realized, and I said to Gwen, I brought everything that I need. I mean, I usually bring far more than I need. When we travel, Gwen and I, she has one small suitcase because she actually plans, you know, how many services, okay, I'll wear this with this, and I just want to take everything so that I have choices. And you do the same, of course. So, and Stephen, my goodness. You know, he's got one suitcase just for all of his shoes. <laughs> and um, so I said, I brought everything except I forgot my toothbrush and toothpaste. But I said, you know, I'm just going to go to bed. I, I know you're supposed to brush your teeth at night, but uh, I was tired. So I just went to bed. In the morning, um, I went down to the hotel. And the hotels always, you know, have the little packs that you, if you forget things, you can uh, go down and they'll give you some. So... It's everything you've ever needed in them. You know, a little toothbrush, a little toothpaste, a little razor, a little shaving cream, you know, and a little deodorant, and everything's so cute, and everything you need. So I go to brush my teeth, and I get the little toothbrush, and I put the toothpaste on, and it had no taste. 
Well, I thought it's probably really cheap toothpaste, you know, being no name. So my thing, I'm not really good at moderation. So I just thought the more the better. So I put the whole tube on. And so I start brushing. Well, something started happening. It started growing in my mouth and I tried to get rid of it. And if I put water in it, it got worse. And I looked on the tube, it said shaving cream. <laughs> and I'm telling you, this is years ago. When I tell this, I taste it. I can actually taste it. Yeah. It was so, it, it did have a taste. And how do you get rid of it? You put water in, it grows. And so I come out of the bathroom, because you see, thank God, you know, God gives us preachers helpmates. I have a wife who's there to help me. So I come out foaming at the mouth, <laughs> saying, when, when I was saving food in my mouth, she just starts howling, just laughing, laughing. Absolutely no help at all. And uh, I honestly thought I was going to die. <laughs> and uh, so I finally got rid of it. Now, you've never had a problem that big, have you? I mean, and, and I lived through it, hello. And, um, you know, uh, so the fir first thing I did, I got dressed. I went down to the, the pharmacy down the street. And uh, I um, bought toothpaste and a toothbrush, real, real toothpaste. And a couple of times later, if my luggage is lost or I have to overnight somewhere and, you know, um, get a package, I'm really, really careful because yeah. it's really important, apparently, to actually read yes. the words on the tubes. Okay, you're learning because you're traveling. I mean, it's very important because if it says shaving cream, you don't put that in your toothbrush. But anyway, it's... Um, so you think traveling is glamorous, huh? <laughs> it's got its um, challenges, you know, and so it's great. Um, can I just, yeah, let me just tell you in five minutes, um, I mentioned last night uh, that we had a service for one in uh, Russia and it was life-changing for me, absolutely, for a lot of reasons. You know, and as I said, we go to Russia and we hire these tanks they're old military tanks that carry passengers in the back and they're really awful. They're very uncomfortable and fumy and no heat and all this stuff, but they get you there. They'll go anywhere through the tundra, they'll go through water. The last trip I did um, with a team, my two sons were with me and a couple of other people. Um, uh, our tank went through the ice and our, our compartment submerged and we actually thought we were gonna die, um, but um, we didn't, so <laughs> I keep going. If you're not dead, you're not done. But um, so we're traveling, you know, and uh, it's a summer trip. And uh, summer, it can get, it's like Canada's art, it can get quite warm. And, um, you know, for a bit. And then the mosquitoes, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, they get just a, such a short, warm summer and the mosquitoes are bad, you can't, you can't even enjoy it. But um, so we're traveling and, um, we, we'd been to one or two tents, we found them and reached families and whole families to come to Christ. But so some of us are sitting on the top of the cab because it was nicer up there and no fumes and you could see forever. There's nothing out there. I mean, no trees, no bushes, it just can see forever. And uh, we're going hour after hour after hour and it's light all the time, light day and night. So you lose track of night or day to sleep when you're tired and you know. So finally, I think this is ridiculous. 
we had a team of Canadian Inuit leaders that we had brought from Canada's Arctic over to reach their cousins, and that is a real challenge. You know, many of them, most of them I took didn't have passports, and most of them didn't have birth certificates, because they're born out on the tundra. So you have to go through a real process, and then some of the communities, even now in the Arctic, don't have a photographer in the community to take passport pictures, so you have to fly them out to someplace else, just get a passport, and then in the midst of it, they go hunting or fishing, and they're not available. <laughs> you understand that, and <laughs> priorities, so <laughs> anyway, we had them all over there, so it was, it was a lot. It was, financially, it was a lot, red tape was a lot, and the government uh, of Russia gives us permission uh, to travel in uh, these closed military zones because they see it as a cultural exchange. We take Canadian Inuit to meet with their cousins. And um, so we're traveling, and I think this, this really is ridiculous because there's nobody out here. And finally, one of our guys said, there's a tent. And I looked, I can't see anything. And uh, I, I said, where? I said, that over there. And I looked through the binoculars, and it was, looked like a black dot. I said, that's a rock. No, no, it's a tent. Well, I was sure hoping they're right. So it takes a long time to get there because it doesn't go fast. And it was a tent. And we get over there, and um, one man comes out, and they talk to him. And he comes, I said, tell him to get his family. We'll have a service. His family is 30 miles over the hill. He's here. He had 1,500 reindeer. He was the shepherd. And at some point, one of his family would come and, you know, relieve him, and he'd go back. And, and so he's there all alone. And so... Um, we're just, you know, standing by the tank, and so I'm ready to get the team back in the tank, because I think we can't waste our time here. And one of our workers, Russian workers, said, shall we serve the one? And um, I got to tell you, honestly, I didn't want to, but I said, well, Jesus would, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, he would. So I said to uh, one of the couples with us, David and Dorothea Glukark, um, I said, David, get your guitar, which meant we're going to have a service. And he said, really? <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> and so we gathered in a semicircle around the congregation of one. And, you know, success in North America is measured by numbers. You know, if you have big crowds, you're successful in the eyes of man. God, we know, looks at it differently. But... Uh, so I'm thinking, this is bizarre. And uh, so our Inuit team sang their songs, and the guy just glared at them. No emotion, just glared at them. And then they shared what Jesus had done in their life and their family and in their community and in Canada's Arctic, which has been amazing. And he just glared at them. Well, then they didn't know what to do. So they turned it back to me. I didn't know what to do. But a young guy with me that we were mentoring, he felt God had called him to be an evangelist, so he was traveling with us. And so I said, well, Bruce, share your testimony. So Bruce shared his testimony. And everything's interpreted, of course, translated into their language. And um, the guy just stared at him. And then Bruce preached the gospel. And the guy just stared at him. I thought, you know, if he slips out of this meeting, we're going to notice because... <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, well, here we are, we've got a great crowd this morning. If, if somebody slips out, uh, we'll keep going. But there, <laughs> if the 
Oh, if the whole congregation leaves. <laughs> okay, uh, well, um, so he just stayed with us. And uh, much to my surprise, Bruce gave an altar call. And, you know, we love Billy Graham. We thank God, but thousands, millions, I suppose, that were touched and saved through his ministry. But he could never boast what we boast. A hundred percent of the crowd got saved. A hundred percent. And they really, I, this guy totally changed. His eyes changed. His face changed. He starts laughing. He gets really happy. He got saved. And the guy, Laver, one of our Russian workers who had said, shall we serve the one, uh, looks at, I think he was surprised. He said, have you ever heard of this before? He said, of what? He said, of Jesus. No, he'd never heard the name of Jesus before. And now he invited him in his life. And I said to him, you must be really important to God to have us come from the other side of the world just for you. And he said, yes. <laughs> he was having no problem with his self-esteem because he thought they came, these people came. Wow. He thought we came in the tank from the other side of the world. We actually took an airplane across and then got in the tank. But these strange people get out and give him the best news ever and tell him how to you know, connect with God and he gets saved. And the Holy Spirit said to me, if this was the only one out here, Tell, tell him I'm tied up. Um, tell him call back later, would you? <laughs> yeah. Why would he call me now? <laughs> it's so inconvenient, isn't it? <laughs> Saturday morning things. Nobody's doing anything. Yeah. Um, and Holy Spirit said, if this was the only one, if there were no one else out here, if there were no other family, I still would have had to come. I still would have had to spend all the money go through all the red tape, and it's months of red tape for the sake of this one. And I thought, if he's that important to God, so am I. And if I'm that important to God, so are you. The value of one soul was life-changing for me. You know, I was in, um, sometime later, I was in New York City. Um, Benny Hinn was doing a um, partner conference, and I was there for part of it. And um, after a meeting, he says, Bill, you must come on the television again. You must have great footage of your crusades in Russia. And I said, well, no, I really don't. I said, and one of his, Kurt, one of his guys said, a pastor, he doesn't do crusades in Russia. I said, we just, you know, we just go, we don't go to, we don't minister in Moscow, St. Petersburg, a lot of people do, it's great in the other parts, but we minister at the very top where nobody goes. We're the only ministry that's going right around the Arctic Circle. See the fire of God spread. So um, I said, I've got great footage of a service we have for one man. And he just looked at me. <laughs> he just come back from Africa. I think he had a million in a, in a service. <laughs> and I'm saying, I've got great footage of a service I had for one person. And you know, both are important. Yeah. Both are important. I had a, a man, when I knew we had to go, found out there were people in the top of Russia had never heard the gospel, worshiping idols. I knew we had to go, and their area means the ends of the earth. Um, so I went to P Moscow and St. Petersburg to connect with Christians to find out how to find these people, how to get there. 
And um, one Russian man, Russian people are lovely, but they can come across a little gruff. And he, this guy comes up to me, Jacob, and he grabs me and shakes me, just like that. And he says, do it quickly. I said, what? He said, reach those people in the north. I, I said, okay, yeah, we're going, we're going to do it as quickly as we can. And then, you know, when you've been an evangelist for 50 years, as I have, you've been accused of everything. Trust me, everything. I mean, people's imagination, really wonderful. Yeah. And, uh, but he accused me of something I'd never been accused of. He said, you are holding back the coming of Jesus. I said, I am not. He said, yes, you are. He said, he said he wouldn't come back till the gospel goes into the earth and he's told you to go, so you need to go and do it quickly. And so I said, okay, okay, I'm going to do it as quickly as I can. Well, then I thought later, Paul, I said, he lives in Russia. He could have gone. But I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah, he could have done it quicker than me. I mean, but anyway, so we're doing it. And the work continues. Um, we have a Russian team over there that uh, is doing, during COVID, we have been sending them more and more trips to reach more and more people. Um, we wanted to go, Stephen and I wanted to go. Uh, we we're planning on going December. We're not able to, restrictions in Russia are still really terrible, but it doesn't stop the work, it doesn't stop the gospel. So let me ask you a question before we get into the teaching, because we're here for healing school, remember? Not here to visit, but I just, really, Sandra, I just want to visit with you. Just want to spend some time, is that okay? Yeah, you're not, don't be in a rush this morning. Um, pardon? Well, that's a long story. And if I tell you that, they're going to have to listen. And then they're here to hear teaching on healing, you see. Well, we always travel. Excuse me for a minute. We, we always travel with more than one tank. We had four tanks. Yeah, so so the, you always, if you get in a crisis, you can pull. And... Uh, uh, but we had, we had um, our, our compartment was submerged, and we had ice cold water seeping in the back, so, which meant that we could die. But they, they were able to get two tanks, took two tanks to chain and pull us out with difficulty, but we got out. We lived, so don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, 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 okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that, but you know, just <laughs> inquiring minds have to know. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Can I ask you a question just before we start the teaching? It's kind of personal, but um, this is for me. Uh, does anybody have a loony they could give me? Well, there's a. It's not. It's not an awkward silence. It's just. Um, does it have to be a loony, or could it be four quarters? He said a loony. And go sit down. <laughs> oh, 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 excuse me. If you want, do you want to give it? Okay, I'll take it. I mean, <laughs> like, well, of course. Thank you. <laughs> oh, oh, no, that's a toonie. No, no. That's a. Here. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know. You know what's going to happen, okay. What's your name? Jesus. What? Jesus. Jesus? Not Jesus. Jesus. Jason. 
Jason. He said, not Jesus, Jason. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay. Everybody happy? Oh. <laughs> this is highly unusual, but, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> thank you. Did you give that cheerfully? Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My goodness. This is, this is fun. <laughs> this is not the offering, you know. <laughs> no, we're, we're coming. We're, we're coming later. But <laughs> Well, that's, that's, I usually just get one. But Well, yeah, we had the discussion. I did, I'd try to give it back, but she didn't. No, I tried to give a change, and she, so... I've never taken a toonie in these meetings, but uh, anyway, um, a loonie. What can you buy with a loonie? Nothing. No, you can't. Oh, half a cup. Oh, half a cup. <laughs> if you go to Tim Hortons and order half a cup of coffee, they say, come back when you've got a little more money. <laughs> like, like. You used to be able to get a cup of coffee, but I think at Tim's, like, I don't know, I'm going to get a um, medium black. I know in Ontario it's $1.70, isn't it? So I don't know what it is here. What is it here? Two twenty-four for medium coffee? Yeah. And then there's Starbucks. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we won't go there. Um, <laughs> The fact is that you can't do anything with this. It doesn't really, it's very pretty insignificant. And um, most of us have these. They have the, in your purses, pockets, in the car, and dresser, whatever. And, um, you know, they accumulate. Uh, but if I, and these people, these are our loonies. They gave them to, because I, I said, you have a loony you can give me, they're not, borrow. I didn't, it's not, not coming back to pay back. If I came back tomorrow and said, yeah, I need a loony. Do you have a loony? If you had one, you'd give it to me. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't even notice it. It wouldn't change your life. Seriously. Um, and if you did that every day for a month, you'd be giving $30 and you wouldn't really miss it. And, but if I told you that for one loony a day, you could help stop suicide in the north. You could help change the First Nation communities across the nation with a message of hope. That you can take the message of hope to every part of this nation and be a part of an army that's taking back what, what the enemy's stolen from our nation. That's pretty neat. You know, this loony is like a snowflake. My wife and I, we have so much fun together. We, uh, we've been married 57 years. And, uh, she says, is that all? <laughs> but um, um, we, we have so much fun. We laugh. So we laugh every day. Um, and we can tell the same joke to each other. And then we forget that we've told it yesterday. So it's still funny today. <laughs> she, I was talking to her on the phone last week. And she, she came up with this line. And I couldn't stop laughing. She said, that's your joke. That's what you want. I said, I know, but it's so funny. And we just laughed. And, <laughs> but every year, Gwen is not, um, she doesn't like snow. And, you know, 
most people, when they get a little older, you've been there. You've played in the snow, and now you don't want to. Anyway, we, so we do this thing almost every year. You know, it's late fall, and you're driving, and it's raining, and it's cold, and then I see something on the windshield. And I say, I think it's snowing. And she immediately, total denial, no, it's not. No, it's not. I said, I think it is. No, it's not. And then, you want me to get it? Is that your phone? Oh. <laughs> um, and then another one comes. And I said, look, it's white. It's white rain. I said, no, it isn't. It's snow. And then more comes, and then you can't ignore it. And she said, okay, it's snowing. And the fact is, you can ignore one snowflake. You can ignore two or three or four. But you get enough snowflakes together, and you can shut down a city. You can close a highway. You can do anything. So what we're doing is we travel across country. Um, we're looking for a bunch of flakes <laughs> that will join us. <laughs> because one can put 1,000 flakes, two can put 10,000. But think what all of us can do together. And I think, you know, in this time of crisis in our nation, everybody knows something has to be done, and they don't know what to do. Well. One way, tangibly, you can do something and make a difference of sowing monthly into our ministry as partners. And uh, we take partnership very seriously. We pray for our partners every day. We get specific requests from them. We pray for them. And when you join a partnership with a ministry, you join the anointing. You join the faith level. And uh, it, it's, you know, it's two ways. It's two ways. And uh, uh, we, we value our partners, and, and we've got an army of people. But I'm going to ask you this morning, if you'd consider this next year, which I think is the most significant and crucial year in the history of our nation, partnering with them is a basic partnership we look at as $1 a day, $30 a month. A lot of people do more than that. Some people do less than that. It really doesn't matter. The idea is just linking in with us. But I'm not going to ask you to do this for one year now. If you commit and somewhere along the year you say, I can't do this, just let the office know and they'll, they'll stop it. I mean, immediately. Uh, that hardly ever happens, but uh, it could. And I, I, you know, and at the end of the year, you could decide whether you're going to continue or not. Most people, they come into blessing. And because there's a principle you give and you receive and, and you sow and you reap. And so they want to do more. But just this morning, really quickly, if you would consider being a partner with us, for this next year at a dollar a day or more. Just slip your hand up and they'll give you a card right now. So can I see your hands quickly so they'll give you a card. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, thank you. And over here, he's coming back here. Just keep your hands up until they come to you. He's coming around here, thank you. And that we have resources out at the table. You can get them after the service. Uh, and, you know, the books on healing and uh, testimony uh, videos and um, um, so much more. And Gwen's devotional. Over here, Jacob. We've got a bunch. Oh, he's coming over here. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. He's, he's coming behind you here. I think over here. Uh, we need one here. We'll do this as quickly as possible, even though it seems to be taking a long time. <laughs> you see, he, they didn't have enough faith. 
<laughs> I always say, more, have more than enough. It's, you know, they don't go bad. They <laughs> okay, one here. Yeah, it never hurts to have too many. Never. <laughs> Anybody else didn't get one? Yes, back there. Thank you. Thank you so much. So during this meeting, you can fill them out, fill the one side out, and uh, um, keep it, and then you can put the other one either handed in the table or putting in the offering later. Um, so here we are. Has to be, there's going to be revival. Yeah. In fact, we're on the verge of the greatest revival in the history of the world. I mean, it's been prophesied. Smith Wigglesworth saw it. He was in a service, closed his eyes, and yelled, I see it, I see it. The greatest revival that's ever hit the face of this earth. It, it, all the revivals put together will not, will not be anywhere near what's about to happen. God saves the best to last. He's promised that he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. All flesh. The world is going to be shaken. I mean, you think this COVID thing went fast and, and, and affected the world. You wait. They're, they're, the anointing of Holy Spirit is more powerful than any virus, than any disease, than, than anything else. And the anointing of God's going to, so it's going to shake. And millions, millions in Canada are going to be swept in the kingdom of God. It's a setup here now of all the immigrants coming from all the countries. Uh, we live in Ottawa. They say it's not official, but they unofficially, we have a... Um, the third official language. We have French, English, and Arabic is the third language in Ottawa. We have so many Muslim people there. There's a swarma shop on just about every corner. I think we have more swarma shops now than uh, Tim Hortons. That concerns some people. It excites me because when the revival hits and millions of Muslims are swept in the kingdom of God, they will reach their nations. They will reach immediately, immediately. And that's going to happen. But it has to be a healing revival. You know, when, when Philip went up to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, he was sent there because he was so much trouble in Jerusalem. He just did what he did in Jerusalem. Went out in the street and just preached Jesus. An entire city was filled with joy. And I say, if God could do that in Samaria which was really ungodly. And they didn't even like, they didn't like the Jews and they didn't like the God of the Jews. If God can take a whole city and fill it with joy in Samaria, he can do it here in Grand Prairie. He can do it in Ottawa. He can do it anywhere. But what ha the key was, they believed Philip's message, the scripture says, because of the miracles. Jesus said, you will go to the entire world and be my witnesses. If you go into a court of law and give your testimony, it can be very convincing, very passionate. But at the end of your testimony, the question will be asked, what evidence do you have? And if you say, I don't have any evidence, I just expect you to believe me, they'll throw you out of court. Your testimony will not be valid. You have to have evidence. To be a credible witness for Jesus, there has to be evidence. We say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We say with him, all things are possible. So the people out there are saying, well, okay, show me. Yeah. Show me. And as I said last night, it's, it's, we're not talking about an event. We're talking about an army of people here on the ground, boots on the ground, anointed with carrying healing in 
touching people and changing people wherever you, you will touch people that nobody else can touch. You will reach people nobody else can reach. Your family, your neighborhood, where you work, the stores that you go to, that's the plan. And in the book of Acts, everybody had a healing ministry. In fact, Jesus said, a sign of a believer will be that you will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. We are believers, and so we are healing evangelists. And that's why this morning is so vitally important that we are here to help you and equip you and give you some basics and then lay hands on you so that there'll be an impartation because you can't just have information, you have to have an impartation. And so today, it's one more. Now, Jacob, take all the ones, all the ones you've got from here and before, and you know who to give them to. But you're going to get more. Well, where are they? What do you do with them? <laughs> Did you give them all that came this morning? That was all. Didn't look like many. You gave them to your wife. <laughs> we have to clean our clothes. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, so. <laughs> yes, yeah, because your clothes are nice and clean, so that's good. Yeah, that's important. That's a bunch of loonies. Okay. Give that to them. It'll be the same. Now, now that's... See, in Canada, we have what we call designated offerings. When somebody gives us a designated offering, the government makes sure we have to, we can't spend it on anything else, okay? This is designated for ice cream. So, so you, I don't think I have to convince him, but you can't spend that money on anything else. It has to be for ice cream. And you might even be able to take a friend. Take grandma. You can buy her a little cone. <laughs> okay, we're done. Ha! <laughs> he had a whole bunch of loonies. I thought he was keeping. He gave them to his wife for laundry. <laughs> well, because they're his. When I give them to him, they're his, so... He takes it seriously. So the book is entitled To Hell With Sickness. The teaching starts in the cover because I'm concerned that a lot of people testify, Christians, God gave me the sickness. God put this on me because he wanted to teach me. Here's the problem. Much of what the people in the church believe about healing has nothing to do with scripture. It has something to do with either their experience or what happened to somebody or didn't happen to somebody. I was, I preached in a church in Ontario, one of the larger churches in our country for a Good Friday service. This is years ago and it was great. It was packed out. So many people got healed. So many people came to Christ. It was amazing. And then I get a message later, uh, you're not going to be invited back there. 
I said, I thought it went really well. It went phenomenal. They're, they would love to have you back, but here's the problem. One of the board members went to the pastor afterwards and said, when Prankard was here, he said that um, it's God's will to heal everybody. And we don't believe that, do we? And, well, of course we don't believe that. And so they said, um, you know, if you want to come back, then you have to promise not to say that. And I said, if I come back, I'm going to say it. So um, I'm glad to be in Grand Prairie. <laughs> um, so, because we got to get back to the book. You see, they, they base what they believe on healing based on what happens to somebody. We, we prayed for somebody, they didn't get healed, therefore you can't say it's God's will to heal them. Excuse me, we believe it's God's will to save everybody, but there's a lot of people not saved. But we don't change what we believe. And we pray for people to get saved and they don't get saved, but we still believe it's God's will to save them because the word says so, but the same word tells us it's God's will to heal. So here's Jesus teaching. Jesus was the greatest teacher ever. He was so, his teaching was so profound that the, the religious leaders were astounded. But it was so simple you could relate to it. When he talked to fishermen, he talked about fishermen, he talked about fish, he, you know, farmers, he talked about wheat and things, and, and uh, shepherds, he talked about the sheep. I mean, children could understand his teaching. Some people, you know, every pastor has this. When I'd led churches, I, I had it. I mean, really good people. Once in a while, come to you, we're leaving. Oh, okay, why are you leaving? Well, we need, we need deeper teaching. We're not getting fed. Well, here's the deal. If you're a mature Christian, you should learn how to feed yourself, first of all. And, um, and the Sunday meeting isn't really about you. We come to honor him. And um, so it doesn't matter whether you like the music, doesn't matter whether you know, the message was, it's not about you, it's about honoring him. And uh, um, so, you know, here we, here we are. We, we, we get everything messed up here. And, and then, while well, I'm not getting deeper teaching, if I took you to the best restaurant in town and bought you on a Sunday the biggest meal and you just ate till you were so full, if that's all you ate until next Sunday, you're, you're going to get sick. You're going to get weak and sick. You're going to be very unhealthy. That's what some people do with spiritual things. They come and they eat, and that's it for the week. And they're not going to do well during the week. You've got to learn how to get in the Word. You've got to learn how to, to, to make it a part of you every day to build up yourself up in the most holy faith. But, you know, for some people, deep teaching is teaching they don't understand. I mean, they come out from a meeting, oh, that was deep. I mean, they didn't really understand it, but it was deep. Jesus, the greatest teacher in the world. John 10.10, 10. this is his teaching. There's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But listen, listen to the Amplified, I love this. But I came that they may have and enjoy life. He actually wants you to enjoy this. Religious people don't get that, they endure, but uh, you can actually love life and just enjoy life. He made all this for us. I've come that you might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till, until it overflows. We should be so full of life 
and blessing that it just spills out on everybody. Yeah. That, you know, you know, I mean, Christians can be the most negative, critical people. And I think, how can you do this? I mean, I, I, I couldn't, honestly, I tried once to get, you know, kind of depressed, defeated, negative, because I thought I'm missing something. All my friends, you know, they, they talk about how bad things are. And then, well, how's it going with you? And I tell them, oh, yeah, well, that's you. It's like, you know, you want to fit in. So I thought maybe I'm missing. I, I don't know how. I don't know how to do that. How can, how can you be negative? How can you be defeated when you know that all the power of the Godhead is living in here, that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that when, when you know that Jesus right now is sitting at the Father's right hand praying for me and you right now. That's what the scripture says. He ever lives night and day. You got a crisis going on, go to bed and sleep. He's going to stay up praying for you all night. Wake up in the morning think, it's a good day. He's praying for me. You get a doctor's report that's bad. Well, Jesus is praying for me. How can you talk about not making it or not being, having breakthrough? And then he assigns angels right around you to take care of you. It's amazing. I mean, if, when, see, all of us have that, those truths in our head, but when it hits your heart, it changes you. Absolutely changes you. It, it, it's life. So Jesus said, you know, there's a thief. He comes, steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have and enjoy life to the full until it overflows. He answers the questions, just about everything, right there. Where does sickness come from? If it steals, kills, and destroys, it doesn't come from God. And you can do that with everything. Is this God or is this the devil? Does it steal? Does it kill? Does it destroy? If it does, it doesn't come from God. It comes from the devil. And you know, when people get healed in meetings and they testify, say, it's all gone. I say, where did it go? I guess the Lord took it. What would he do with it? <laughs> he doesn't want it. You know, God cannot make you sick because God doesn't have sickness. The Bible says, Holy Spirit's our teacher. Yeah. But then people say, well, look, I was laid up for three months and, and I'm telling you, the experience I had with God, I'm so close to him now. The fresh revelation. Well, if you have nothing to do for three months but lay in your bed and think and pray and read your Bible and you know watch Christian programs or whatever and listen to worship, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't grow in God, you're dead. I mean, of course you will. But that just says they don't understand God. You see, God can take the worst and turn in the best. He can turn cursing into blessing, but he didn't. He didn't cause the cursing. He can take a burnt out pile of ashes, turn it into beauty, but he didn't cause the burnt out pile of ashes. I mean, you just have to understand that only good and perfect gift comes from above, yeah. comes from God. So this comes from the pit of hell. And if that's where it comes from, that's where it needs to go to. Now, when you're praying for people to be healed, I notice most people pray long prayers because they don't know what to do when they finish. And they're, you know, in their mind, they're thinking, this is going to be awkward. So usually when they finish praying, they just pat them, God bless you, and they run. My wife, my wife is a stickler. If you're going to pray for somebody, you stay with them. Ask them, what are you feeling? And if they say, well, I'm feeling something, like, well, then pray again. Or if they say it's all gone, then celebrate. Or if they say, I'm not feeling it, well, pray again and just keep praying. So uh, this is Jesus' teaching here. And, and most people, when they're praying, 
give God a medical report. You know, God, this person has this, diagnosis this, the doctors have done this and, and this and this. I don't know whether you notice or not, those prayers normally don't work. The Bible says the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. That's not the prayer of faith because that's focusing in on the problem. And while you're giving God the medical report, which he already is quite aware of, you know, he knows, the person you're going to pray for or praying for is listening and you're sapping whatever faith they've got out of them, but you're also doing it for yourself. You're, you're, you're drawing attention on this person's problem and you're really magnifying it. When you magnify something, it doesn't change, it just seems bigger. Jesus' teaching was, in, in Matthew 17, 20, if there's a mountain in your life, speak to the mountain and tell the mountain to be removed. So it's not a matter of giving God a medical report. You know, some people come to me and, and they say, I, I, would you pray for me? I need healing. And I go pray and they say, well, no, I have to tell you. And I say, you know, you really don't have to tell me. Yeah, I do, I do, I have to tell you. And so they tell me, and then I go pray. Well, there's more, and then they tell me more. And I, let me pray, well, there's more, and then they tell me. In time they finish, I mean, I'm looking at them thinking, you should be so thankful you can just stand up and breathe, like for goodness sake, after, I mean, they've sapped everything out of me. I mean, they've just totally drawn attention onto the problem. And uh, we, Gwen and I had the privilege, some of you will remember a great man of God, Oral Roberts, one of our heroes, of the faith, um, we had the opportunity to spend an afternoon with him in his home um, on a Thursday afternoon. That Saturday morning, he fell in his home, was taken to the hospital, and a day or so after he passed. So Richard, his son, says, you were the last ones with dad outside of the family. It was a precious afternoon. Um, it was equivalent of an entire Bible school. I mean, just the wealth of that man. He was just getting ready to celebrate his 91st birthday, and his body was weak, but he had the fire in his eyes, and he said, now I can't travel and minister anymore. But then he, he said with a smile, but I still minister, because I'm gonna minister to you today. I said to him, we want you to pray. He said, well, of course, you're not leaving until I give you what I've got. And, um, but one of the things he said was, he said, I don't pray long prayers. I pray short prayers. He said, oh, a couple of times in my life I prayed long prayers. And I told Richard and Richie that I was with him. <laughs> so sometimes you really have to. But when you're praying for the sick, the most, the most effective prayers are short prayers. I mean, the Bible prayers, most of them are very short. Some of them just help. help. <laughs> yeah. That works. Yeah. It works. But you, you, you don't talk to God about the person's problem. Jesus said, if there's a mountain, speak to the mountain. So speak to arthritis, speak to cancer, speak to COVID. And you can tell it, arthritis, go to hell. Now, some people, some church people find that a little strong. So I say, well, let's add the word back. Go back to hell. They like that better. That seems to soften it. You know, 
our book, To Hell With Sickness, um, every year I go to uh, Sweden and for a healing conference, a great healing conference. I've done this for, I've lost count of the years, and except the last two years, of course, with restrictions, I've done it live on Zoom, which I'm tired of Zoom, by the way. Um, yeah. it's, it's fine, you know, but it's not the same. Uh, so anyway, they, one year they asked, the pastor said, can we translate your book into Swedish to hell with sickness? I said, absolutely. So they did it, and then we fly over for the healing conference, and they're going to release this book. And so um, uh, I notice, uh, Jacob, do we have a copy of To Hell With Sickness? Um, I noticed, like on the cover of our book, there's flames, there's fire. I notice on their book, they had flowers on the cover. But I don't, I don't, read, um, I don't read Swedish, so I, you know, whatever. And so then, thank you. Then she says, um, we translated exactly as you wrote it, I, which I would expect, except the title. I said, oh. She said, yeah, we changed the title a little bit. I said, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I said, um, now this, this has an attitude. The publisher, when we wrote this, said, you need to come up with a better, another title. I said, why? I like this title. They said, well, no, but it would offend some people and they wouldn't buy it. I said, well, those people wouldn't buy anything with my name on it. It's not for them. It's for people who know they're not normal, who are radical, who, who want to send everything back to hell. So um, it's for them. Because some people actually get excited when they hear the title. That's for them. It's, we have a, you know, a, a market here. So, <laughs> so she, said, she said, yeah, we changed the title slightly. I said, well, what does it say? This to hell with sickness. She says, and she says it in such a nice, warm voice. Healing, God's gift. I said, wow, that really is a change, yeah. <laughs> so the guy that drove us to the airport, he said, I don't know why they changed the title, but he said, they, it's in here. It says to send it back to hell. And he said, that's exactly what I'm doing. So, um, so that's what Jesus said. He said, speak to arthritis, speak to cancer, speak to COVID, tell it to go to hell. That's where it comes from. That's where it needs to go back to. One lady came and said, um, she, she said, uh, you know, I've had this, this condition for years, uh, arthritis. It was, it was crippling. And the doctor said, it just keep getting worse. And she said, so I want you to pray for my arthritis. I said, it's not yours. And she says, whose is it? I said, it's the devil's. And she said, I didn't know the devil had arthritis. And, and, and it, was like I, it was like I'd accused her of stealing somebody's arthritis. And then I saw her countenance change. And she really got angry, not at me, but the fact that she'd accepted this for years. And I saw her, the power of God hit her. Nobody was near her. She fell flat on her back in the power of God. She got up, she said, it's gone. It's gone. She said, the devil got arthritis today. So, so that's, that's Jesus' teaching. Now, you know, the scripture tells us a very interesting wording in Galatians 3. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. 
The curse came on the earth, as you know, when man sinned. It brought three things. It brought sickness, it brought poverty, and it brought death. There was, there was no sickness. It was God's ideal plan was for man to live in the garden forever, not die, and um, live in absolute divine health and prosper. I mean, you want to see prosperity, look at Adam and Eve in the garden. They had everything in abundance. It's phenomenal. But that the sin wrecks things. Sin destroys things. And so when, when sin came in the world, then the curse came in. And so they were put out of the garden and, and sickness came, pain came, limitation came, uh, poverty came. They, they went without. And they had to work by the sweat of the brow and they died inside. And we know Jesus, I mean, came because of that. I mean, back in the garden, God said, I love you. I'm not going to let you stay out there. I'm going to send somebody who's going to bruise the head of the serpent, destroy his work so you and I can walk together again and be back like it was before the curse. And so the Bible's wording, he redeemed us, which means we were kidnapped. The enemy kidnapped us. And I think this is really amazing because, you know, you, you might say, I, I'm not worth very much. Well... Interesting, you were kidnapped and the price that was put on you was the biggest price ever asked for anything. Nobody could pay it. I think that's remarkable. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but I asked Gwen once, honey, if somebody kidnapped me, how much would you pay to get me back? <laughs> and you know, she gives me that look. Paul, you don't know what that look is. No, no. but. But I've lived with that look because I, I like to press the buttons, you know. And so, so she says, don't go there. Which, of course, makes me want to go there. So you, you know this. You can get away with things publicly. You can't in private. So she's, we're in the service. Gwen's sitting in the front row. So I come down. And she's already given me that look because she knows I'm going somewhere I shouldn't. And um, I have so much liberty when she's home. <laughs> because I don't, but I feel the look sometimes, you know. <laughs> it's strong. And now I've got a daughter who is acting like my mother who gives me that look. Um, like, somebody asked Meg, like every Mother's Day I give my daughter flowers and a card, thank you for being my mother, because she takes care of me. She, she does. She absolutely takes care of me. And somebody asked her about that. She said, well, my mom gave up on him years ago, so I have to now. And uh, so this stand on guard, whole vision came into my spirit a few days after she left for holidays. And, uh, and I knew there was an urgency. We had to do it. So I just started, you know, contacting pastors we're in relationship with and, and talking about the, and, and everybody loved it. And so time she gets back, she said, I can never leave you alone again. I said, what are you talking about? It's like leaving a little kid at home. You come home and it's a mess. Like, because see, I hadn't really thought this much. Somebody had to do all the logistics of it. You know, all the plans for traveling and and it was a nightmare, especially in this season. You try to rent cars. Like, it's ridiculous. I mean, Calgary back in end of August, they had no cars. Yeah. 
None. I mean, ridiculous. And then Labor Day, Steve and I going to Lethbridge, they, one company had one vehicle available and $2,500 for the weekend. So I, this was Dick DeWert's conference. So I said, ask Dick if he wants to pay $2,500 or send a driver in. He sent a driver in, yeah. <laughs> a good call. But, so she had to do all the work. It was a lot of work, but um, uh, there's reasons there was an urgency for it. And uh, uh, so I get the look. But, so I came in the service and I said, um, Gwen, if somebody kidnapped me and called you and said, you're coming back for $5 million, I just thought I'd put a price on it, you know. What would you say? And she said, without hesitation, tell them to have a good life. <laughs> now, that hurts. now, see, I happen to believe that she would like to have me back. But if somebody seriously wanted a five million, that's not going to happen. Like, there's a reason why, you know, movie stars, high-profile people have security around them. Because if somebody kidnapped them or any of their friend, family and says you can have them back for five million, they'd pay it. But if anybody did that for any of us, they'd be, on, they'd be the stars of America's stupidest criminals. I mean, like, it's just not gonna happen. But here it is, folks, here's the picture. We were kidnapped and the ransom that was set for us was the most expensive price ever paid. Nobody could pay it. Wasn't enough gold and silver in the world to pay it. And Jesus stands up and says, I'm gonna pay it because they're worth it. And if you're the only yeah. one, like that guy out in the tundra, if you were the only one, he still would have come, still would have lived, still would have died, still would have rose again, and still would be sitting at the Father's right hand for you. You're valuable. Yeah. And so he paid for us to be redeemed from the curse, which means you can expect to be healed because we're back before the curse. You can expect to walk in divine health. We don't do that, but you can. You can. You can expect to prosper. Now that word scares some people, makes them nervous because it sounds close to a word prosperity. I was teaching in a church, and a friend of mine was there, and he came up afterwards, and he looked worried. He said, Bill, you're not into that prosperity thing, are you? I said, actually, I am. I said, I tried the poverty thing. Gwen and I tried the poverty thing for years. We didn't like it. It, re it really isn't nice. Like, you know, God's telling you to do things, and you say, well, that, that, we don't have any money. You know, we got all these bills. We, I mean... Here's prosperity. Like you say, well, so-and-so takes it extreme. Well, if they do, then they've got a problem. Yeah. Here's prosperity. Having all your bills paid. I mean, this is, this is God's will for you. I preached a message recently called The Will. You know, you're part of a family. You're part of a family. And you've got an inheritance. He's left you. And you've got a copy of the will. It's called the Bible. Yeah. You should read it. It tells you what he left you. Yeah. He talks all, the, all of your inheritance. Like people aren't reading the Bible. They have no idea. And so they go without. But Third John 2 says, Beloved, that's us. I would that you would prosper in all things. Now, yes, that, I believe that's money. 
I believe it's God's will to have your bills paid, every bill paid, your mortgage canceled, your vehicles paid for. So everything that comes in can go out. You see, now the problem is if God entrusted a lot of people with a few million dollars, they'd blow it. They buy a huge house, cars, yachts. And so you decide the level of life that you, that's your comfort. And you're going to stay there. See, Gwen and I, for years, we had a larger house, lots of rooms for guests, and, you know, guest apartments in the basement and whatnot. So we always had people living with us all the time, which was fine for that season. Now, we downsized. So we have no room for people to come and stay with us. And we like it. <laughs> it's just a nice season. But we decided that we wanted to, you know, this was the lifestyle that we were comfortable in. You know, we live in a 50-plus community just outside Ottawa. Uh, the sad thing is every one of our four kids qualify to live in that community too, <laughs> which they don't even want to talk about. I think, I said, wouldn't it be fun if you're all neighbors? And no, no, it's not going to happen. But, but they take care of everything outside. You know, they take care of the grass, the snow. So I can go away, I can do whatever, and come home, and neighbors are friendly. Um, yeah, they're all old, so they're nice. They're quiet and <laughs> nice and, and nosy, so they watch our place like crazy. It's great. It's very safe. It's, we love it. <laughs> they put a sign up, neighborhood watch. We officially have a neighborhood watch. Well, of course, everybody is a neighborhood watch in our community. And it, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. So, so we live there. But so, and, and we have no bills, no mortgage, no payments on vehicles. So everything that comes in goes out. So I've told our kids, we're doing everything, your mother and I are doing everything we can to spend your entire inheritance. <laughs> and they're not the least bit worried. They just smile and say, keep giving, Dad. God said to me, you'll never be on a fixed income unless you stop giving. A guy in England said, I like giving, I just have trouble receiving. I said, you'd be a terrible farmer. Like if you're gonna plant seed, you're gonna, something's gonna grow. It's, it's not rocket science here. It's, it's like it happens. It, and so, you know, no fixed income for, for believers if you keep sowing. And Rodney Howard Brown said, and I believe it, you'll never meet anybody who consistently flows in the anointing that is not a consistent giver. That's right. So, so we're giving now to a level we've never given in our life. And we're being blessed. It's really challenging because the more you give, the more it comes back. And our kids know this. So no matter how much we try to give away, their inheritance just keeps getting bigger. And it's a real challenge because, you know, I have this goal, but they're going to be, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. There was somebody who was blessing us in an incredible way with, with something pretty major. And uh, so I talked to my mom slash daughter about it, and uh, she was a little hesitant. And then, and then she paused. She said, well, that would be part of our inheritance. I said, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> of course you like it. So prosperity is being able to do, like if God spoke to you and said, I want you to go tomorrow to the Arctic. Almost everybody here would say, I can't. I don't have the money. It's very expensive to go to the Arctic. And we can go anywhere in the world cheaper than we can fly from Ottawa up into the Arctic. Um, 
So very expensive. And then you say, well, I've got commitments. I've got to work. I mean, you know, I've got to pay my bills. Prosperity would be not having bills to pay, to be free. If God spoke to you, say, I want you to go to Africa tomorrow. I want you to go to the Arctic. You say, okay. Okay, just buy a ticket. That, to me, is prosperity. Yeah. Whatever God tells you to do, with, you do it. just do it. Just be, a ble- be blessed so you can bless. Yeah. And God's looking for people he can trust. I believe he's going to, he's going to bring millions into the kingdom. But he's looking for people that he can trust that will use it for kingdom purposes. And that's the same with, there's businesses that are starting up and, and, and going. That The business leaders, the, the owners are doing this. They, they've learned about giving as a business and the blessing is coming in the midst of COVID. Businesses are growing and, right. and families growing. And I can tell you this ministry has probably given more this year than any other year. And we're in the midst of COVID, we're having the greatest year financially that we've had in the history. And um, it's just, it just keeps getting stronger. So we, we believe this, but, but he wants you to prosper in all things. So that's your, your marriage. That's your home. That's your kids. That's your family. That's your business. A guy, a guy called and said, I want you to pray for my business. I don't know if it's God's will that I go bankrupt or not. I said, well, it isn't. It isn't. It says he wants you to prosper. So prosper and then do whatever you want with the business. But so he wants you to prosper, be in health, even as your soul is prosperous. So it's God's will that you be healthy, that you be prosperous, and that your soul prosper and you live forever. In other words, be removed from the curse. There's such good news today. Isaiah says it. The good news is, in the midst of bad news, that he's taking care of everything. Read Isaiah 53. He took care of paying the price for your physical healing, your emotional healing, and your spiritual healing. Everything. I mean, in a time when people are struggling with anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts, we've got the answer. His name is Jesus. This is such good news. We have the message of hope. And people in various parts of the country, Christians, say we're not hearing this. Well, we've got to get this out. In the midst of everything, there is hope and there is life. I mean, absolutely. So it's God's will to heal everybody. And I, don't, I didn't make this up. David says in Psalm 103, let's remember the benefits of being part of the kingdom. Lots of times we talk, if people say, an unsaved person will say, okay, you're into this Christianity thing. Well, what, tell me about. Well, I don't go there anymore. I don't do this anymore. I stopped doing this. And they look at you, well, what do you do? I go to church. Oh, we. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like fun. Well, it is, but they don't know that. I mean, David said, we should remember the benefits. This is part of the kingdom. This is part of our inheritance. The lady, I think it was down in New Brunswick. You know, I, 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 I taught on, I preached on the will, and, and, taught, and she said, thank you so much. She said, I've never read the Old Testament. I, I don't like the Old Testament. I've just been reading the New how foolish is that? You get a copy of the will and you only read the last part. You have no idea what you've inherited. So how can you go after it? And, and you can't pray the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith isn't complicated. None of this is complicated. This is the thing. It's so simple. Seeing people healed is so simple. Seeing breakthrough is so simple. Having the blessing of God is so simple. I, so you know, the prayer of faith is simply asking God to do what he promised. But if you don't know what he's promised, then how can you, 
claim it. I mean, you know, when I lay hands on the sick, sometimes I hold this right up. So you promised. You promised if we lay hands on the sick, the sick will recover. And um, you know, normally if I'm praying for somebody to, for healing, Jacob would be right there with his hands on their back. Because the Bible says, if any two agree is touching anything, it shall be done. So whether the person has faith or not doesn't matter. We're joining our faith. And let me tell you something. Jacob mentioned last night, when you join the anointing and join generations and then join the vision that we both have had of Canada, that's a powerhouse. It's a powerhouse. The devil has really tried to fight this, this generational blessing thing and, and, and walking together. So, you know, my generation has stuck with their generation and his generation stuck with it. But when you merge, watch out. It's explosive. It's, and the fact is, I need him and his generation. Somebody said to me, um, most of your friends are young. Well, you become like the people you hang around, for one thing. And most of the people my age are either old or dead. And either way, they're no fun. I mean, I mean... Honestly, we, we get together with some of them when we have to, and their, their goal is to retire, to get out of this. Yeah. That's their goal. Mm-hmm. Oh, three more months and we'll be out of this. It's like a, this is a punishment. You know, Deuteronomy says, you know, because you didn't, didn't have the joy of serving me, right. yeah. Yeah. then I turned you over to the enemy. Yeah. Every day I say, God, thank you. When God called me, I, I, I felt so inadequate. I, I fought the call because I thought I got nothing. What I didn't realize when I finally said, yes, he anoints you, he equips you. But I know, I know what I am without anointing and I know what I am with anointing. Yeah. And I know everything is him. And I just, I think it's overwhelming that I get to do what I do and have done it for 50 years and enjoying this season. It's a, I said to one of my pastor friends, I said, how many guys my age do you know that are doing what I'm doing? He said, most guys your age are dead. Like, of course they're not doing it. And I'm living. I'm living the dream. And, but the merging of the generation, so we join together and we believe. We believe, because I say, God, you promise, if any two, any two agree as touching anything on earth, it shall be done. We hold God accountable. You see, because all of us have to be accountable. You know, when you come to Christ, you have to be, you have people in your life you're accountable to. And they have to be accountable to somebody. And everybody's accountable to the pastor. I tell every evangelist launching out, you've got to be part of a local church. You've got to have a pastor. And um, we have two because we spend some months. The goal is spend some months in Florida. So I, we have a church there. We have a pastor there. And then, of course, we have a home church in Ottawa and a pastor there. And they just joke. They talk once in a while and um, compare notes. They said he's so high maintenance. We have, he has to have two pastors. And I think they're looking at recruiting a couple more, take the load off. And, uh, but we submit. I said, you're my pastor. We submit to you. doesn't matter what the age is, experience is. There's an order. And if you ever hear me doing something, saying something, preaching something, doing something that's wrong, it's your job to call me up on it. And I promise I will submit. I mean, that that, that accountability doesn't stifle you. It protects you. 
It protects you. And so, we, we've got, so you know, a friend of mine said when he got saved, he went right up to everybody has to be accountable, and the pastor has to be accountable to people, and they have to be, goes right up to God, and he said, God doesn't have to be accountable. And he felt God say, yes, I do. I'm accountable to my word. You can hold him to his word. Absolutely. Hold him to his word. So the Bible says, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So David goes back to David here. And um, he said the benefits are, he lists several of them. He forgives all your iniquities. That's in the will. That's part of your inheritance. That's part of your inheritance. You know, when you go to a doctor's office, I, I go to the doctor's maybe, I guess, annually or whatever it is, because my daughter slash mother says, you know, at your age, you need to have a medical. So I go, and my doctor's so neat. We have such a great time together. We just have a great visit, talk about all kinds of things. And he checks everything. Last time I was there, my word, he took forever. I said, you're trying to find something, aren't you? He said, well, it's not normal that somebody your age is so healthy. He said, I'd give anything to be as healthy as you. And he's probably in his 30s. And uh, wow. <laughs> and he's a doctor. Isn't that crazy? So, so, so but the questions the doctor will ask. Um, tell me about your mother. Cancer, heart, diabetes, father, brothers. Yeah. Because the thing is, if it runs in the family, then you're liable to get it. Yeah. Well, excuse me, but that has nothing to do with me. Because I change families. We, we, we're, we're, see, when you come to the kingdom, when you're born again, you're born again into a family. And let me tell you about my father. His heart's fine. No blood pressure. No, he's perfect. I inherit that. I've got his blood flowing through my veins. So I, you don't have to. Some people say, well, you know, my mother had it. My grandmother had it. Well, that's nothing to do with it. The Bible says he heals all our diseases. And all means all. And then somebody says, well, that's Old Testament. Well, it's Bible. But it's, if you want New Testament, James says, is there anybody sick? Anybody. I'm called for the elders. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. It's all inclusive. So based on the scripture, we have to conclude it's God's will to heal. Well, what do you do if you pray for somebody they don't get healed? Keep praying. Now, let's deal with this before we get into six keys because I want to give you some points from there before we lay hands on you. And... Um, our goal is to wrap up around noonish because Jacob gets violently hungry. <laughs> yeah, that's a new word. That's a, a whole new level. He used to just get hungry, but now, huh. So, hmm? Hangry. Hangry. <laughs> that's a good word. So, um, Where were we going here? A lady came to me, thank you, and said um, she was really troubled. Her daughter had left home on drugs, living on the street. 
And she kept, every time the phone rang, she feared it was the police telling her her daughter was dead. So I took her hand. I said, well, let's pray. Oh, no, 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 I don't want to pray. I said, you don't want to pray? No, no. Why don't you want to pray? Well, I've done that. I turned her over to God, so, you know, I just... That might sound fine, but if you follow that through, if she doesn't come home, if she dies in the street, it's God's fault. That's what she's saying. Now, you don't get that teaching from Jesus. This is Jesus taught us how to pray. And he, taught, and he told stories so people could understand. Ask, seek, and knock. And he said, you keep asking until you receive an answer. If it's worth asking for once, you keep asking. Get somebody else to agree with you in your ask. Fast and pray and ask. Get everybody you know that believes in miracles to ask. But you don't stop asking until you receive. You start seeking. You don't stop seeking until you find. And you keep knocking until you get an answer. And that was his teaching. And, and it, it's, if it's worth praying once, you keep praying and keep believing. My wife and I have some things, very important things, that for years, every day, whether we're together or at home or whether we're apart, we join together and we pray and we believe. And it's every day and it's years and we've not seen the manifestation of it. But we know he's paid for it. We know it's his will. And so, you know, we were praying the other day and Gwen said, we just want you to know, Lord, we're not stopping. We're not stopping. Because we know you love us, you paid for it, we haven't got it all figured out. You'll never figure healing out. Because if you figure healing out, you'll figure God out, and that's not going to happen. His ways are beyond our understanding, higher than us. But there are a lot of things you can't understand. So you just keep believing, and you walk in faith until the manifestation comes. And, you know, we've got so many stories about that, but it's for everybody. It is God's will to heal, absolutely. And it's different, you know, when people don't understand that he's made a covenant with the believers. He heals unbelievers because of his mercy. But he heals believers because he made a covenant. You read it in Exodus. He said, if you do these things, I will not allow any of the diseases that came on the Egyptians come on you. I'll keep you healthy. You can live in divine health. You can expect to be healthy. But you got to do your part. He said, if you diligently adhere to my word and do it, don't just know the word, do it and keep the rules. Oh, some people don't like rules. God's rules are not there to stifle you. They're there to help you. I was preaching up in northern Quebec and um, um, there were a lot of Crees there and a lot of French people there and English people. So I'm doing the English. I can try to handle that. But I had a French interpreter one side, Cree interpreter on the other side, and they were both going and people getting healed. And I had this amazing illustration. And so I started it and I said, suppose the train's going down the track. And the train said, I don't want to be on this track anymore. Well, three older men, Cree men on the front row started laughing and pointing at me and saying something. And I said to um, the interpreter, what, 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 are they, what are they saying? He said, they're telling me to tell you that trains can't talk. 
you know, you know this, that missions normally, our humor doesn't work. Because no. our humor is normally abstract. Right. And they take everything literal. You know, so, so things that we think funny are not funny. And then things that we don't think funny, they get the biggest kick out of them. Because <laughs> they think literal. <laughs> and they're laughing at something and tell us what you're laughing at. And they tell us and, oh, hmm, that's amusing. And, <laughs> but so... So, but they, they just got it. I, I'm telling them the trains talk, and they just lost it. So, you know, if you were smart, you'd just say, okay, don't forget that. But it's such a good illustration. I just kept on, and they kept laughing because they thought. <laughs> so the train, the tracks aren't there to restrict the train. If the train leaves the tracks, it'll destroy itself and everything in its path. How many lives have we seen? How many lives have we seen? And maybe you've gone this route. Say, I don't want to be restricted. I don't want the Bible. don't want God. don't want rules. And they go out because they want freedom. And they go off the tracks. And they destroy everything in their path. And they destroy themselves. And they end up prisoners. The great thing is you can come back to the tracks. You can get back on. That's, that's a really great thing. But uh, the only way to fulfill your destiny is to adhere to the rules that God gives you. And there are rules for being healthy. Getting proper rest. One day in seven is a day of rest. And you can, you can violate that for a week, two weeks, a year, two weeks, a year, whatever. But I, I have friends. I have friends that can't minister. They can't travel. And it's not the devil. They abuse their body. They, they emotionally, spiritually, physically, they burnt out because they didn't take care of themselves. Okay. I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm just talking about, this, is our, this body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Like, I, I don't drink alcohol. You know, some of my friends say they can have a glass of wine at dinner. And I, I'm not good at moderation. I don't like moderation. So, <laughs> you give me a glass of wine, I, I've never, I've never touched any of it because I know I'd want the whole barrel. S seriously, I, I'd want the whole barrel. I wouldn't, because I, to me, it's like the, the uh, shaving cream on the toothpaste. <laughs> like if a bit, it's not, m it all will be better. You know, that's what I figure about everything. So, so I, I have an addictive personality, so I have to really be careful. You know, because I'm going to be addicted to some things. So I decided to be addicted to new wine. It's fun. It's fun. You feel good the next morning. You're not sick. And you remember the night before. And uh, um, I, I'm addicted to Holy Spirit. I just want more. I just want more and more and more of him. So, you know, you channel that. And, and uh, um, so you, you have to take care of yourself. You know, I'm telling you. Like my doctor, you know, we, we talk about, you know, health and weight and stuff. And um, what do you like? I like ice cream. Mm -hmm. He said, well, don't deprive yourself of it. Mm -hmm. But don't have it every day or several times a day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but once in a while have it. So you're not, but if, you know, seriously, if you eat at a fast food place every day, all your meals are, you're not going to be healthy. You're not going to be healthy. You know, Johnny Nash, pastor down in Sylvan, where we're going, 
he said, you know, people are concerned about what they're put, putting in their bodies. They've been eating McDonald's and stuff for years and putting what they don't know in their bodies. So we, if we're going to if we're going to really go that route, we should really, you know, kind of start analyzing what we're putting in our mouth. And um, so God wants you healthy, but you have to do your part. You have to do your part. Well, we're going to go to six keys here, just uh, some of the chapters. Before we do, we're going to give you an opportunity to give an offering. You've already got the offering envelope, so that's fun. Um, if you're writing out a check, just make it out to bpea.com. Just bpea, no dot. You can put a dot in the end if you want. If you're writing a check, just you make it out to bpea. And um, if you don't want to fill it all out, just sign the check, and we'll fill it out for you. Now... Here's the thing. If you don't want to give in this offering, don't give. Because the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. But I made a decision this morning. We will, we will accept money from miserable people this morning. So if you're not cheerful, give anyway. You might get happy. I get happy when I give, and you might too. So uh, take a minute, fill out the offering envelope, and uh, uh, you can give. There's all kinds of ways you can give. You do e-transfer. It's amazing how many people are doing this now. But if you do e-transfer, just info at bpa.com, uh, you have to give your contact information. Like they need your address and things or else they can't receipt you. And um, mom will be after me. But you'll tell me, you, he told him. Yeah, I'm telling him. And then the security question, of course, the answer is Canada. And give online anytime, bpa.com. You can always get any of our resources online at bpa.com. You can also get our books, I think, Amazon and... Kindle, which is great. I do that. Um, you can phone. Toll free. That's fun. 888-344-6333. Amazing. And you can text. I don't know whether you text to give or not, but I think that's a really neat way to give. Once you're logged in there, it's great. So you're sewing into Canada. What can I do? I, what am I going to say? You know, I have people say, I love what you're doing. I believe for revival in Canada, but I can't support you because all my money is already committed to ministries in the United States. And I say, stop it. Canadians have to sow into Canada. And I'm just telling you, this is good soil. Stephen and Becky leading our ministry. It's strong. It's well. He's leaving for the Arctic in a few days again. And um, we need Canadians to stand with us. And we need Canadians to not to do more than just say we stand on guard. Yeah. Through an offering and through partnership, you do it. So when the offering envelopes or baskets are passed, you can um, put your partner cards in there or they can do it on the table as well. So whatever. And um, so Father, we hold in our hand our seed. It is seed. We believe for harvest and we pray God as people sow, it'll come back to them a hundredfold, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And we just speak blessing over them and we thank you for meeting the needs. And we thank you that we sow into Canada, declaring with this offering that Canada shall be saved and you shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Just go ahead and take the offering. So this is a book. We wrote this book because we were teaching on healing. And um, people were saying, well, we're praying for people and they're not getting healed. They're not breaking through. There seems to be a blockage. So Gwen and I, um, we went through the scriptures and we found some things that we'd never connected with healing before that we feel are keys. So I'm going to go through it really quickly. Um, the, these books will be available. We still got some at the back. Jacob? Yep. 
Um, so the first chapter is paid in full. You have to realize it's paid in full. We've talked about that. If you don't know that it's paid for you, you see, you're not begging. You're just coming to get what he's paid for. He paid for it for you. So take it. And it's like somebody buys your groceries and you don't leave them there on the counter. You take them home. They're yours. And then the next chapter is unconfessed sin. If you're sick, it doesn't mean you're a sinner. Job had all kinds of problems and uh, his friends came and said, you must be really doing a lot of bad things in order to go through this. And his attitude, his reaction was really good. He said, I don't think so, but um, let me ask. And he just says, God, search me. If there's anything in my life that's blocking, show me. So when you're praying for somebody and there seems to be real blockage, this is a good place to start. You don't say you must be a filthy sinner. That really doesn't help the ministry part. You just say, you know, ask yourself, is there anything in your life that is blocking? And if God shows you anything, deal with it. Yeah, none of us want anything to block the blessing of God in our healing. The third chapter is honor. There's some DVDs there where my wife tells her whole story. This is her story. The scripture says, honor your father and mother that you may be long upon the earth land which the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, if you want to be healthy and live a long life, honor your father and mother. It's connected with healing in your life. It's really not about the parents, it's about you. Gwen's mom was uh, saved with her brothers and sisters in the Jeffreys Healing Revival meetings in England in the 1920s. Most of them came over to Canada and, and ministered, Pentecostal ministers, and started churches all over the West and led you know, districts and did all kinds of things, taught in Bible schools, and, and, uh, and her mom was part of that, so she's a purebred. Her dad moved with his family when he's about 20 from Chicago to Saskatchewan and to Homestead because in those days, the government of Canada said, if you come, clear the land, work the land, you can own the land. It was a great offer, but it was really, really hard. Many died during the winters in Saskatchewan um, while they were homesteading. Her dad was part of that. And then his first wife died giving birth. Then he went through the depression and you know, had all kinds of stuff happen. When Gwen's, when you ask Gwen about her parents, she would talk about her mom in glowing terms. Her mom died when Gwen was 14, just turned 14. She's very, very close to her mom. Her dad was older. Her dad was the age of my grandfather. So they weren't close. And uh, in those days, men didn't show emotion. And uh, so, you know, there was really not a lot of connection. And after, the day after Gwen's mom died, uh, she was sitting on her bed crying, and her dad came to the door and said, why are you crying? Which to me seems like a stupid question, but with all due respect, but um, she said, I miss mom. And uh, he just looked at her and said, I do too, and turned and walked away. All she really needed at that point was a hug. She didn't need words, but he, he couldn't do that. She realized years later that something clicked in her heart. If he's not going to show emotion to me, I'm not going to show emotion to him. When he died, she didn't cry. Funeral came, she didn't cry. And, you know, I just wrote it off. Well, they weren't that close. And, you know, he was old and hadn't been well and all of this. So 
Um, and she's sitting down at the lake. I was over preaching and ministering in Russia. And she went to a cottage where some of our family was living or, or staying for a week or so. And she went up for a couple of days. And one morning, she went down to the lake with her Bible, just sitting there reading her Bible. And she said, out of the blue, God said, you've never honored your father. Now, when she talked about her mother, she talked in glowing terms. When she talked about her father, she wasn't nasty. She just told the truth. Right after her mom died, her dad came to her and her sister that was just a year older. So she was just turned 15. Gave her a $20 bill. This is the money for the house for the week. Now, $20 in those days went a lot more, but it still wasn't a lot. Buy the groceries, do the meals, take care of the house. You're in charge now. If you need anything for yourself, you have to work and, and uh, buy it. Which was great preparation for my wife. Because when I met her and married her, she was a great cook. She was a great housekeeper, great with finances, because she'd had to learn all that. And a hard worker. But when she talked about her dad, she just told the truth. He was really stingy. And she you know, talked about what he didn't do. Now God's saying, you didn't honor, you've never honored your father. She said, it was like a dam broke. It was like she just heard he died. and He died years before. She said, I just started sobbing. And, you know, she was surprised. She, was, she hadn't expected this. And um, she was grieved. And from that point on, when people ask about her parents... She talked about her mother the same, but when she talked about her dad, she didn't exaggerate, she didn't make the, but she told the truth. She said, he was a good man. He was a hardworking man. He didn't show, he didn't express love because he didn't know how, he'd never known that, but he did his best. And then she'd say, you know, he provided for us and they provided a home and he brought us up in a Christian home. And, um, I'm very thankful for my dad. Gwen had had several major physical problems prior to this. Migraine headaches to the point that it was crippling, one after another after another. Just get through one, another one hit, and it was, it was awful. She had um, an eye condition that was getting worse, and the doctor had to keep prescribing stronger um, prescriptions. Thyroid that they said was shutting down, had to keep increasing the thyroid medication. And you know, we prayed and she's in the services and praying for people, people getting healed, sometimes the same thing that she's believing for. And she's getting worse. And um, had all her friends praying and, and she's getting worse. And a few weeks after that event in, um, at the lake, she said, you know, I haven't had a migraine since then. I haven't had a migraine in weeks. That was in there around 1990. She still hasn't had a migraine. And we think she'll never have a migraine. She went to check up for the thyroid. Doctor said, this is really unusual. Your prescription's way too strong. Your thyroid's really working. And they had to keep lowering the medication. Went for her annual eye checkup. <laughs> the doctor said, this is unusual. At your age, we should be increasing. We have to decrease your prescription way too strong, and the condition you had in your eye is gone. It's not there. And there were several other things going on. And, and <laughs> okay, we're a little slow. We actually didn't connect all that for a while to the lake. 
But then we read what it says. If you honor your father and your mother, you will live long and well in the land. So you say, well, my parents don't deserve to be honored. It's not about them. It's about you. You deserve to live long and full. And so, you know, I know, I know, I know some people have been abused, they've been hurt, their parents have done terrible things, and it's really hard. I get it. And if they did those things and never apologized, never repented, that's, God will deal with that. But you can't let them keep hurting you. You can't keep let, letting them do this to you. You deserve to be well and free, and this is about you. If you can't find anything else to say about your parents, they gave you life. Like you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them, so thank God for that. I'm here, and I've got destiny, and I can do anything because they did that. So, you know, and at the end, we tell the story. I tell the story, and it's on the DVD, Honor, that's on the table. Um, this is not a true story, obviously, but it, it illustrates the point. A man's walking outside, a seagull flies over him, plops on his head. And he's got seagull... Poop, thank you. Yeah, I was looking for an appropriate word. Poop, thank you, Pastor. Poop, all over him. And he gets very angry. I had that happen once. It's not nice. You know what I did? I went home and showered, changed, showered, and put new clothes on because it stinks. And so he goes home. He's got this stuff all over him. And the kids run, and then they get close to him, and they pull back. Come on, give me a hug. Daddy, you stink. He gets angrier. Well, this isn't my fault. The seagull did this. Well, then at night, he's sitting on the couch. He wants his wife to come and, you know, cuddle up with him. She doesn't want to be anywhere near him. He's got seagull poop all over his head. And he stinks. And it's awful. And he gets more angry. He said, the seagull did this. I didn't do this. Then he goes to work as a salesman, and nobody wants to talk to him. And finally, the boss comes to him and said, like, we're going to let you go. Nobody's going to buy anything from you. You stink. And then he gets angrier at the seagull. And so... He ends up losing his home, his family, his house, his job, everything. And he lives in a cardboard box under the bridge every day, standing, waiting for the seagull to come back and fix it. And the seagull isn't coming back. The seagull isn't coming back. But you have to do something. Stephen Carlton was sexually abused at 16 by a man in the church. That can, that can destroy people forever. And it did for a couple of years. He, he just went right out, turned his back on church. He got mad at church and God and parents and pastors and everything. And realized he was going the same route his cousins do that ends in suicide. And he came to our church and he wanted prayer. And I guaranteed him this would be a safe place. We surrounded him with good, solid men. We got him counseling for months and paid for his counseling. And he got set free. And do you know what he did? The guy never came back, never apologized. The seagull never came back to clean it up. But he came to the point he was so free, he forgave the guy. He's set free. And then look, look, 
Look what the guy's doing. He's changing the North. He's changing First Nation communities because he went and through the blood of Jesus, had a shower, cleaned up, changed everything. And now he, do you know, he goes to the North. They've, most of the kids up there had never heard of anybody that had been sexually abused and survived or thrived. Yeah. He does. Like he, not only is he married, he doesn't have one beautiful girl. He's got five beautiful daughters. That's a lot. I look at them. It looks more. Only five, but it seems more. He want, really wanted a son. So he had a, they had a daughter. Then he really wanted a son. They had another daughter. Then he really wanted a son for the third one. They had another daughter. And then he calls me and says, God spoke to me. This is a year. This is, what, a year and a half ago. God calls me. This is a year of upgrades. Well, he's thinking of traveling. You know, upgrading is nice. That afternoon, Becky goes for ultrasound, comes home. She said, uh, babe, there's not one. There's two in there. That, that was the upgrade. And he got excited. Two sons. Well, shortly after that, the next ultrasound is two more girls. <laughs> so I think that's funny. Anyway, I tell it's not difficult. We had a girl, boy, girl, boy. Nothing else to have. I mean, it's not difficult. You, you'll do that. But only you do boy, girl, boy, girl. Yeah. So, um, honor, it's very, very important. The chapter four, one of my favorite, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. When the 12 spies came back from Egypt, 10 spies gave a report that was accurate. It was absolutely accurate. But the Bible says it was an evil report. What's going on? What? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. <laughs> Run. <laughs> Did something fall? Yeah. What? Well, I'm very relieved. They were looking at something. I thought there was a bat flying around or... <laughs> Or an elephant walking across the... I didn't know what it was. That's, that, that's, that's not going to... Nobody was injured, okay? <laughs> we're all fine. So um, we're going to wrap up in a minute. So, and get out of here, because <laughs> we don't know. The 12 spies came back. 10 gave an accurate report. They talked about the size of the walls, the giants, everything else. It was true, but God said it was an evil report. You know, the spirit of Joshua and Caleb has to come upon us. People can give all the reports about all the stuff happening, but somebody has to rise up and yeah. say, what are we talking about now? Our God is well able to give us the land. Let us now go. Yeah. That's how I feel. I feel in the midst of everything, it's time to take this nation back, yeah. and we're not going to wait. So if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. Be careful how you talk about other Christians. Really, be careful how you talk about ministers. I mean, I've seen people go through terrible things, and they just are so critical you know, of ministries that are on television. I mean, one lady went through the whole list of them and said, I hate that one. I can't stand this one. I don't know. Well, if, if they're on TV and you don't like them, turn off the TV. You can fix that. I had, we were on television for over 30 years, and... Um, 
I had a man write me from Windsor, Ontario. He started the, the letter by, Dear Bill, I don't like you. And I don't like your television program. But here's $50 to help people in the north. <laughs> so, so he's watching. <laughs> so Meg, my daughter, made sure I saw the letter. And um, I, so I did a handwritten thing back so he'd know I saw it. And I called him by name, and I said, you and I have a lot in common. There are a lot of days I don't like me either. And there, I watched the program, and I think, oh, I don't like that. We could have done so much better. But I said, what we do have in common is we both care about the people in the North. And uh, thanks for helping. And he kept helping, but I thought it was funny. Didn't like the program, didn't like me, but he's watching. <laughs> Make my day. But um, if you criticize ministers, either on the local level or, you know, on a national, international level, you're not going to hurt them. You'll hurt yourself. You'll hurt yourself. It's not worth it. Look. Who is the man? Psalm 34. Who is the man who desires life, loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, lips from de speaking deceit, depart from evil, do good, seek yeah. peace and pursue it. Yeah. It says, who wants to live a long, full life? Talk nice. Speak good things. You know, if God called us and said, I'm forming a committee to fix all the ministries on television and all the international ministries and local ministries, um, you're on the committee. We'd have a ball. Oh, yeah, well, I don't like the way they dress. I don't like their hair. I don't like what they're saying about this. I wish they wouldn't focus on that. But there is no committee. God didn't call us. If there's problems, then pray for them. That's our job. Yeah. That's our job. But um, come to appreciation of the diversity in the body of Jesus. I'm so glad we're all different. Every ministry I know is reaching a segment of the population that the others aren't. Yeah. So they're different. They're, they're, you know, and it's so, it might not be for you, but it's for somebody. And as long as they're preaching Jesus and reaching people for Jesus, then we'll walk with them and, and help them and support them. And because they're, somebody said, how can you be? You know, friends, well, because we're all family. We're all family. So let's speak nice about our family. And then uh, number six, don't accept it. We expect, we expect sickness. You, you meet somebody you haven't seen for a while, say, oh, did you hear so-and-so died? Oh, what did they die of? Were they sick long? What about dying healthy? Yeah. Hmm. Enoch wasn't sick. No. At walking, didn't come back. Moses, 120. Just climbed the mountain, didn't come back down. Yeah. I mean, if they could do it, we could do it. Yeah. Don't expect it. Well, it runs in the family. Well, as I said, you're in a different family now. So go with what runs in our new family. Health, prosperity, blessing. It's just really, really nice. So don't accept it. And you know, one guy came <laughs> to testify of being healed. And he said, you know, there's like one thing about traveling. People are so interesting mm -hmm. and never gets boring. He said, I lost him. I said, you lost him? Yep, my friend. I said, who? Arthur. I said. You lost Arthur. Yeah. 
arthritis. He made a friend out of it. He said, I've had him. He's been with me for over 20 years. He said, he goes everywhere. He came to church with me and now he's gone. Well, he's kind of kidding, but it's pathetic. <laughs> Don't make friends out of your sickness. <laughs> no, <laughs> send him back to hell. Arthur went to hell. So, Shandara Makushi. Amen. So that's number six. Number seven, you need to get the book, Tithes and Offerings. God heals people who don't tithe, don't offer, or don't give offerings. But I'm talking, if you want to live a consistent blessing, you need to be a consistent giver. You need to tithe to your local church. That's what we do. And then give offerings and so into ministries. Uh, you, want, you want to live under open windows, open heavens? Give. Give. And then the last one conclusion. When you've done everything, you stand. You see, here's the thing. When you're ministering to people for healing, you are not responsible for the results. You and I cannot heal people. We are responsible for obedience. And when we've done everything we know to do, then we stand and wait for God to do what we can't do. And if if things don't turn out the way that we were believing for, we leave that with God. Rather than spending my life dwelling on what I don't understand, I've chosen to spend my rest of my life on what I do understand, and it's pretty simple. I don't understand a lot of stuff. I don't have a lot of answers. The longer I live, the more I minister, the more I don't understand. I don't ask him why, because he doesn't answer. That's what faith, when you don't understand, then you trust. But this is what I do understand. Jesus is alive. He's sitting on the throne. He is a healing Jesus. He paid the price. All things work together for good to those that love God according to his purpose. And makes life so simple. Makes life so simple. And so a lot of the questions people ask me about healing or why is it, I don't know. I don't know. I'll know one day and it won't matter. But today I do know that God wants to use you. So we're going to finish by just, I want to lay hands on you for an impartation. I believe in impartation. I believe this anointing is highly contagious. I carry healing and revival anointing. And when I lay my hands on you, you are going to get it. And you are going to be a carrier of healing and anointing. And I'm believing today that you receive an impartation of the healing evangelist, the passion and the boldness. Like, people don't even believe me, so I don't tell them most places. I'm going to tell them, but I won't tell you. I was so shy when I got saved. I was so quiet. I was so shy. It was pathetic. I, I couldn't even be in a room. And you know, four or five people, and they asked me a question. Everybody's like, I just get so flustered. But I changed. You change when the fire of God hits you. When you get filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. And so, the picture I have of you today is like the little mouse that fell into the wine barrel. When he crawled out, he said, where is that cat? 
No more. No more the devil going to kick you around. You are going to be a devil kicker. No more are you going to be having nightmares about the devil. Devil's going to have nightmares about you. And I'm here to tell you today. I'm here to tell you today that when you get out of bed in the morning, there's a group of people here in Grand Prairie, when they get out of bed in the morning, all hell is going to go on the alert, say, oh no, here they come. My God, your hands are going to become lethal weapons in the hands of God. You're going to do severe damage. Yes. So when we leave today, yes. we believe we're leaving an army yes. of healing evangelists that are going to go out there doing it. Don't get religious. Just go touch people. Yes. Jesus didn't even say pray. Just put your hands on people. Hi, how you doing? Yes. And some people don't even want you to do that anymore, you know. So, you can do this. How you doing? Yeah. Or you can just stand like this. Mm -hmm. Friend of mine, Ontario, who all these restrictions, wasn't supposed to touch anybody. He put a big lamp in front of him, and they walked by his shadow. Yeah. <laughs> and that was John Turpin, and he got healed. <laughs> so, but because, you know what? Jesus is going to put his hands all over everybody. So just, just speak the word. So, Father, thank you for what you're about to do. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. We thank you for every person here so highly, so thirsty. We thank you for them. Oh, I feel, I feel the anointing. I feel the anointing. If we can put some music on, I just want to pray for you. We're going to do one line at a time. If you get here and the line's full, you'll wait in the aisles. We'll do this quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm just going to touch you. You're going to get it. Look at the person beside you and say, you're going to get it. Everything you need. Many people are going to be healed in the next few minutes. Many people are going to be set free. Many people are going to be filled. But you're going to become a carrier. They came out of that room carrying something that turned the world upside down. And Canada is about to be turned upside down by ordinary people carrying a fire and wood. Everyone standing, please. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.